Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 18. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligations both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Um, thank you. Thank you so much, Robert, for setting up the series. Thank you, Gina, for reading um, for us. Uh, and really welcome. It's so great, again, to see um, many of you coming back to Riga, uh, restarting your studies. Um, welcome if you're visiting with us this morning. And... Um, and it's great to see friends of good friends also visiting us for just one Sunday. Um, so welcome. Uh, well, let, let me start. Let me start this morning uh, the, the message with a question, um, which is kind of a slightly uncomfortable question. Do you remember COVID time? Now, why would you want to remember COVID time? Right? There, there is no reason for it. Uh, um, you know, we but but. Do you remember it? And how can we not? How can we not? We have even started to refer to things and events before COVID and after COVID. That's so impactful. Before COVID, Grace International Church got together in Meshtiems. After COVID, the Grace International uh, assembles on Chaka'ila. Before COVID, we had church lunch every Sunday after COVID, we have it only once a month, and so on. On top of that, COVID brings back a lot of uncomfortable memories, even painful memories. It impacted us mentally, physically, even relationally. It was hard to be in isolation. The virus brought pain to our bodies, the restrictions brought tension in our relationships. Well, the two-meter social distancing, it was just too much to ask. So when it was finally lifted, at least the Latvians were really happy because now they could go back to the five meters. <laughs> What's well, a little kind of joke about Latvians? We need to be able to make fun of ourselves too. 
and, 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 then, and then the controversial vaccine, right? It just seemed ineffective. People still got sick, very sick, and even died. So COVID impacted us all, all around the world. Now, for the sake of illustration, imagine, imagine that the miracle COVID vaccine got produced and it actually works and cures the virus once and for all. Imagine that, no sickness, no pain, no harmed relationships, no loss of our loved ones. And imagine that you have it in your hand. What sort of situation does it put you in? You have the answer to the humanity's suffering all around the world in your palm. What does that make you? Any idea? Yes, it makes you obliged. It makes you obliged to bring it to all, doesn't it? Well, that is exactly, my friends, exactly what Paul is imp implying about himself in our today's passage. Well, glance chapter 1, verse 15. Glance at verse 15. Here is Paul summarizing. Here's the key verse. Paul says, I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Paul is, of course, not referring to a COVID vaccine. He is referring to something much more powerful and effective. Paul is under obligation to spread the vaccine against sin to all people. Well, this powerful remedy is called the gospel. And so, my friend, this morning, I mean, the big question, not just this morning, the big question in our Roman series is going to be, are we going to get on board with Paul's mission to bringing the gospel vaccine to the nations? Are we going to get behind Paul? Is that, if that is the ultimate solution to the brokenness of this world and the people in it, how can we not get behind Paul and what he's doing? So maybe, maybe, can I just give you kind of a thought in your head for this semester, for this year? Why not think of your time here at Grace International as training for the global mission of taking the gospel to the nations? I think it's a good, good thought to keep in mind as we start our new semester, new year here in Riga. So two things really this morning. Uh, firstly, how has Paul intended to get us behind his mission? And the answer is by preaching the gospel to us. Because the gospel makes Christians fruitful. The first thing, gospel makes Christians fruitful. And, and why is that the right thing to do? Why? Secondly, because the gospel is God's power for salvation. It makes non-Christians righteous. The second thing, it makes non-Christians righteous. So, so firstly, from verses 8 to 15, the gospel makes Christians fruitful. 
What is Paul's mission strategy to reach the nations? If you were with us last week, we saw that it is the, the gospel, pure and simple. The gospel is God's message about Jesus, who is the risen King and Lord of all. As we said, you know, th this, this fact requires a response. The obedience of faith for Jesus' name's sake. And on top of it, we were thinking about how Paul's teaching impacts how we think about the gospel and how we present it to other, others. So, for example, to our non-Christian friends. Because surely, surely our friends need to hear the gospel, right? They need to submit their lives to the Lordship of Jesus. And that is true. Paul agrees. But did you spot the surprise in our today's passage? Paul's mission strategy is the gospel for Christians. And that is the surprise of our passage today. Please look at verse 15. Paul says, <clears throat> So... I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now, you in verse 15, it, it's not non-Christians amongst the, the church in Rome. No, you are the people of verse 8, for whose faith Paul gives thanks and for whom he prays. Paul genuinely thinks that Christians in Rome need to continue hearing the gospel because they should increasingly submit their lives to the Lordship of Jesus. Well, I'm so thankful that this was the first lesson a, a more senior pastor wanted me to learn. <clears throat> Excuse me. I was Christian for about um, one year, and one day um, this pastor invited me for coffee. And towards the end of our meeting, he handed over to me a book called Putting Amazing Back Into Grace by Michael Horton. And on the inside of the first page, he had written this sort of one-sentence dedication. And this, remember, the gospel is not just the beginning. The gospel is everything. Don't you think Michael Horton has gotten this idea from Paul? I think so. I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. The gospel is for Christians. Is that how we think about gospel? Is that how we constantly think of it? I need to be there on Sunday because, because I need to hear the gospel. I have to make sure I make to the midweek Bible study because I need to hear the gospel. I need to meet with this person for lunch, you know, um, from church, for he or she needs to hear the gospel this week. Now, if we're honest, it's not always the central reason, isn't it? You know, some Christians, some Christians are tempted to rather hear about five steps to a more fulfilled life or seven steps to the liberty from debt or, you know, read a book, 12 rules for life. 
which I've read, by the way. <laughs> Other Christians are less pragmatic. They seek predominantly experience. Does the gathering, um, does it gonna, is it going to make me feel good? Will I encounter, you know, the presence of the Spirit here? Now, as we continue in Romans, it will become more obvious why 12 rules of life is a trap. We will also see that the Spirit plays an important role in a Christian life. But never, never apart from the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So we need to continue hearing the gospel. But why? Why do we need to continue hearing the gospel? Why does Paul want to preach the gospel to Romans? You know, th their faith is proclaimed in all the world. These guys seem to be doing really well. Why preach the gospel to them? So let me repeat my first point again, because the gospel makes Christians fruitful. The gospel makes Christians fruitful. Look, look with me at verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Now, the word harvest in the original is the same as fruit. Paul wants the Roman Christians to bear fruit. Now, at this stage, we really don't know what this fruit is. Paul doesn't clarify it here. Well, towards the end of the letter, it starts to become more clear, but we'll, we'll have to wait till the end. But just a sneak peek. Paul wants for the strong in faith to bear with the weak in their failings. And he wants everyone to welcome each other and live in harmony. And he would love the Romans to help him financially with his mission to Spain. There's some of the things that we kind of surface as the fruit. But for now, notice how in expressing his wish for the church in Rome, Paul doesn't throw his weight around. In other words... Paul isn't like a boss you have never seen requesting things via email, you know, from you, ordering. Yes, Paul is the apostle of the risen Lord Jesus. You know, verse 8, he says, my, my God, through Jesus Christ, I give thanks. He's in a position of authority. Yes, he is writing a letter, but look at verse 10. I want to come to you. He wants to come to them. And just see how personal and warm Paul is. Verse 9, without ceasing, I mention you. Verse 11, I long to see you. All this is to say, Paul doesn't see Romans as pegs in the ministry wheel, in his ministry wheel. He doesn't regard them as money back for his ministry expenses. Instead, first and foremost, Paul wants to strengthen and receive mutual encouragement from the Roman Christians. Isn't that a wonderful reason 
and motivation to get together. As you consider coming in on Sunday, I think it was wonderfully set up by Roberts this morning. As you consider coming in on Sunday, pray to God, please make me an instrument in your hands. Please use my gifts to strengthen someone in the congregation this morning. I think that is what Paul means in verse 11 when he says that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. Now, Paul, that, you know, by, by that Paul doesn't mention, well, sorry, I think he doesn't mean, you know, like speaking in tongues. That would be kind of contrary to what he says to the, the church in Corinth, because you can't understand when you, you know, when someone speaks in tongues. Strengthening can be something as simple as sincerely welcoming someone. Patiently listening to someone's life story or last week's situation. Praying for someone before or after the service. Helping to set up or clear um, off after the service. Making coffee, bringing a cake. Inviting someone for lunch after the service. And the list could go on. The Lord, how can I encourage someone this Sunday morning? And thankfully, thankfully, I can say that this is something that we are already doing. I could actually praise God for so many things, just thinking and praying about the church this week. Just think how encouraging it is, how good it is to be in the company of people who constantly are looking out for each other, looking after each other, caring for each other, serving one another, how encouraging it is. There are, of course, ministry areas we would, we would still want to, you know, display maybe more fruit. I'd love to see how a few more Sunday school teachers emerge. And I get thanks for, for those who have already emerged. It would be great to have one or two people on music this semester. And it would be really certainly great that a few more would sort out their giving. And there's, there's some in this church who give extremely generously. So why not pray about some of these things in your quiet time before the Lord's? How can I be more, more encouraging? How can I strengthen um, uh, my brothers and sisters? How can I strengthen our ministry here at Grace? So let me, let me summarize um, where we are so far. Paul wants to get us to, us to, behind the gospel mission to the nations. He wants us to be fruitful Christians who are able to strengthen and encourage those around us. And Paul's strategy in achieving it is rather simple. It's not five steps to a more fulfilled life. It's not 12 rules of life. Rather, Paul wants to preach the gospel even to us. Christians, because he knows that ultimately it is the gospel that will bear the necessary fruit in our lives. And on top of it, as we started, Paul says that he is under obligation to do that, to preach the gospel. Now, why does Paul have to do it? 
Why is he under obligation? I love how one pastor I know has put it. So in, in, a, in a question form, is Paul under obligation to preach the gospel because the risen Lord Jesus has put the gun to his head? Is, is that why he's under obligation? Is that why that is his duty? Now, Christian service looks and feels one way when motivated by fear, right? Fear of man, fear of perishing, but it feels and looks something completely different when it's motivated by grace. So the second thing, the gospel makes sinners righteous. In fact, in verses 16 to 18, as you look, we have a chain of reasons why Paul is eager to preach the gospel. Did you spot, did you spot that chain? Well, let me, let me read it. Let me read it to you in the ESV, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first, and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now let me paraphrase or put it maybe in a more simple words what I think Paul is, is saying here. I will not go deep in these verses. I think probably there were preachers who spent several months or even up to a year in these verses. The longest I've heard Romans being taught in a single congregation is 11 years. Are you ready for this? No, no, we're not ready. I'm not ready. So probably, probably the preacher spent just in these verses several months. So I'm not going to do a lot of justice this morning, but I think it's worth to see in the immediate argument. So what I think Paul says here is, is, dear church in Rome, I really want to tell you the gospel because I am not ashamed of it. And I'm not ashamed of it, of the gospel, because God powerfully saves all those who believe it. The gospel is so powerful because in it, God's righteousness is revealed and it's all about faith. It is such good news for those who believe because God's wrath is against all unrighteousness and ungodliness. Now, when you, when you hear these few verses, when you, when you hear this chain, how does this make you feel? Of course, it's grand. It's something so rich. It's something so deep, something so profound. Now, I want to quote both Luther and Calvin again. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. It's, it's rather disturbing. Sorry. Um, Luther and Calvin together. It is indeed the purest gospel that holds the most profound treasures of scriptures. It is indeed the purest gospel, says Luther, 
that holds the most profound treasures of scripture, says Calvin. Well, let me briefly touch on the meaning of, of, of these profound words. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel, but not in a sense of, you know, proclaiming it to non-Christians. He is not ashamed to tell the gospel to Christians. Christians need to continue to hear the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is God's power for salvation. The death and resurrection of Jesus is God's powerful solution for the broken humanity. You know, salvation, salvation in Romans is our final rescue when Jesus comes back. And this final rescue, Paul says, is secure for everyone who believes. Now, how come the gospel is so powerful? Because it tells us something very important about God and his work. Here, God is righteous and he acts righteously. Well, this needs a bit of um, explanation. The the word righteousness is such a key word in the rest of the, the section and Romans generally. It needs some explanation. Now, when Paul says that God is righteous, there are several things that he is saying. Firstly, God's righteousness is the attribute of his character. It is who God is. God is just. He is true, he's utterly fair, he's perfectly consistent, he's glorious, he's holy. God is righteous, Paul says. As one commentator said, God is right to the core of his glorious being. But God's righteousness is also his activity. God's righteousness He is not just right, but he also does the right thing, especially by keeping his promises. Righteousness is God reaching out to rescue people as he said he would. So God is always right. He always does the right thing by fulfilling his promises. And thirdly, we benefit from his righteousness. How? Paul says, by faith. God's righteousness is a free gift to the believer. It is a status of right relationships with God. This status, it's a legal declaration. We are guilty. The whole of scriptures says we are guilty but God declares us not guilty. Now, how is that not a contradiction? Well, we will have to wait till chapter three, but I can tell you now that it is everything to do with Jesus and what he does. We are guilty, but God declares us not guilty because of Jesus. So that's how we benefit from God's righteousness. Now, what does it mean for the righteousness of God to be revealed in the gospel? Now, for now, it's it's sufficient to know this. God did not begin rescuing people 
after Jesus came. No, he did it throughout the Old Testament. God has always rescued his people by grace. What the gospel did was to show it more clearly, more clearly what and how God does it. I think it was Augustine, I think it was St. Augustine who used the analogy. The Old Testament, it's like a fully furnished but darkened room. It's dark. All the furniture of God's rescue, they are, they are already there, but just dimly and in a shadow. The gospel, the gospel turns the lights on. Ha, ah, now we see the room. Now, we, now I see what and how God has been rescuing his people. And, and Jeddy will be looking at it much more closely in chapter 3 in a, in a few weeks' time. But the wonderful thing is that the gospel continues revealing it, even today. Whenever the gospel is preached, God switches on the light and he rescues people. He reveals how plain his rescue in Jesus is. And finally, finally, why? Why is the righteousness of God from faith to faith? Well, the short answer is because in this way, God is most glorified. God is most glorified in freely granting people rescue to those who come to him empty-handed. I don't know whether you know the song. Um, it's, it's a very popular song, Rock of Ages. And one, one particular paragraph sounds like this. And it's so true. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling, Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. And that is how God works. I, I think that was Calvin again, um, who has wonderfully put it. Man's only righteousness is the, is the mercy of God in Christ when it is offered by the gospel and received by faith. That is the only righteousness of man. I think the Old Testament quotation in verse 17 fully agrees. The, the quotation is from the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk 2. And there God promised his rescue. You know, the, the right response to, to the, the message of the prophet was to take God at his word. But there were those in the days of Habakkuk who were puffed up and they, they thought, you know, they will cope on their own. They will sort out their lives on their own. And hence the quote, the righteous shall live by faith. In case you were wondering sort of from faith to faith, what, what does that mean? I think the most simple way to understand it is starting by faith and continuing by faith. So let me again summarize before we kind of close. Paul is boasting in the gospel. He's proud. He's not ashamed of it because the gospel of God reveals who he is and what he does. God is always right 
and he always does the right thing as he makes people right with him by his grace through faith in the Lord Jesus. That has been the case always, always, and for all people. The gospel simply makes it clearly visible. Now, why is the gospel such good news? Why is it such great news? Why is God's free gift of righteousness such an amazing and wonderful news? Well, because of the bad news in verse 18, now, I'm going to leave this as a sort of a cliffhanger for the next week, though. But let me just read out the bad news of the next week. It's all going to be bad next week. Just, just be ready for it, to prepare for it, okay? So verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's why the gospel as a free gift received by grace through faith is such a wonderful news. God's saving righteousness is going to be as good news as his wrath against all unrighteousness is bad news. So let me, let me sort of close with a question and, and a short application. Is the gospel Good news for you today. Is the gospel great, the greatest news you've ever heard? You know, maybe there will be someone for whom the gospel has to be the beginning today. You know, perhaps you have been familiar with Christianity, you know, with, with, with the church, but have never considered the gospel Maybe you have thought that Christianity is about do's and don'ts. What I do, what I don't do, a moral codex. And, you know, and, and how I make myself right with God. What I have to do to sort of please God. If so, please, please consider how perfectly right and just and holy God is. What are the chances you will ever remain standing before this God on your own terms? I think there are none. So please consider the risen Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of your life, and submit to him. Submit to him, or you will perish. Jesus is your only hope, only hope. The gospel is a significant beginning because it makes the sinners righteous. So the question is, are you a sinner in need of rescue? But what about most of us today who used to come in here on Sunday and Sunday for several years? Is the gospel, is the gospel good news for us today? Is it? then why, why are we often shying away from telling the gospel to each other? The gospel is God's means of sustaining and saving us until the end. That's the only means. The gospel is not just the beginning, my friends. As remember today, the gospel is everything because it makes Christians fruitful. Let's make telling the gospel our 
fruitful obligation. I'm actually giving this title not just to this talk, but to the whole series of Romans. Fruitful obligation. Let's make the gospel our fruitful obligation toward each other. Some of the implications for that. An exhausted mom or exhausted dad, especially today in dad's day, needs to hear God continues work powerfully in her or his life, you know, as they raise their children to know and love the Lord. Parents need to hear the gospel all the time. A depressed Christian needs to hear that he or she is the child of God. Every week and day, we need to remind ourselves we're children of God. They are never alone. Jesus is with them in the valley of the shadow and death. Jesus was forsaken by his father on the cross for your sake, so that you would never have to be alone. A depressed Christian needs to hear the gospel every day. And Christians, Christians battling addictions need to be reminded that the glorious gospel uh, gives them new identity and value. Let's pause for a few seconds while the wonderful children go to that little Sunday school lesson after a rather enjoyable time in the park. So thirdly, Christian, Christians battling addictions need to be reminded of the glorious gospel that gives them new identity and value. They are already accepted. They are already loved. They are already valued by God. Tell them the gospel every day, every week, so they get captured by a better vision than than alcohol or drugs or porn. We all, in our life situations, continually need to hear the gospel. So Christians, Christians, we have the vaccine against sin and corruption in the palm of our hands, or rather more precisely in our hearts, right? Well, let's proudly share the gospel, um, this powerful remedy with each other and those who do not know Jesus yet. Let's make it our priority. Let's pray now. Gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you this morning for the wonderful and powerful gospel. We thank you that it is really your power for salvation for everyone who believes. Not just those who don't know you yet, but also, Father, for those who continue believing you because it makes your people fruitful. And so, Father, please, please forgive us whenever we have shied away from telling the gospel to each other, from the times that we have robbed each other from hearing the gospel. Father, please make us bold, make us compassionate and loving, even more loving as we continue telling the gospel to each other. So we would grow in knowledge and love and appreciation of everything that you have given us so freely 
in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And so, Father, as we grow stronger, as we grow stronger and more encouraged, we pray make us the instrument in your hands to get behind Paul's mission, reaching, reaching the nations with the gospel, beginning here in Riga and wherever God sends us in the due course. Pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen.